and welcome to Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman. I'm Judy. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. And if you're back again with us, thank you so much for joining us again. Selling in a Skirt is all about connection, community, and creating relationships. It's about empowering professional women and encouraging men to be champions, advocates, and sponsors of women in leadership. Now, what I love most about what I get to do is I get to share important, impactful, relevant information with my special guests. And every week, it's the same. We have the most amazing people. But today, I'm going to say she's more amazing. That's because she's with us today. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Stephanie Klein, and then we're going to bring her on. So she's got a very impressive bio. So she's a trailblazer whose academic and professional journeys stand as a testament to her relentless pursuit of excellence. She's a slacker because she only has three master degrees, an MBA, MPH, and MPHA, from Everglades University in Boca Raton, Florida, where she graduated summa cum laude, making her place at the pinnacle of her class with an unrivaled 4.0 GPA. So she is an academic titan, and she also not only delivered the graduate commencement keynote address, inspiring a crowd of over 1,000 attendees, but she also is a notable faculty member guiding the next generation of leaders. Her profound insights and wealth of knowledge have shaped countless C-suite executives, fostering excellence and innovation on a global scale. I'm going to let her tell you the rest. So welcome, Stephanie. We are so excited to have you here and want everybody to know you. Thank you so much, Judy. Uh, it's just a pleasure and honor to be here with you and all of your listeners. Uh, thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. So I want you to tell us more about who you are. I just gave like a little bit of a highlight because, as I said, a slacker that you are, like you've really done nothing, but I have pages of things that you've done, and I'm so excited to have you with us. So tell us who you are, what you do, and why you love most about what you do. Well, first and foremost, uh, I am... Of course, just like you, Judy, I am so passionate about uh, empowering women and having this uh, important conversation about uh, women in leadership and closing the uh, gender uh, the gender gap here, especially in the workforce, et cetera. And so, uh, like you, I share your passion. Uh, I love the concept of learn, share, grow. Uh, and learn, grow, share, uh, and whichever order it, of course, comes naturally for whoever we're speaking to in our audience. Um, and so currently, my role is as the vice president of board experience for Z-School. Uh, Z-School definitely is an education technology company where we specialize in uh, making those connections between universities and organizations uh, and, and assisting them with their professional development and executive edu education curriculum. Uh, and so that is my role today. I lead more than, uh, I lead actually more than a dozen programs uh, regarding advisory board facilitation. I facilitate around 600 meetings a year uh, for Z-School, um, and that spans over 40 universities, um, like I said, more than a dozen programs, and at this point, uh, that spans over 10,000 uh, C-suite executives and uh, executive professionals worldwide. Wow. Okay, that's just in a word, wow. So, you know, you said right in the beginning, because we do, we both have the same passion for empowering professional women. What got you started that way? Why is that so important to you? 
One of the reasons why that's so important to me is because uh, early on, I, as you can imagine, uh, I know perhaps those who are just listening to us today, they don't, they don't see me, but I do have blonde hair and blue eyes. And uh, when I first started out uh, as a young, uh, a young woman in corporate America, uh, I entered the workforce at a really early age. Uh, I actually was given a phenomenal opportunity to become the director of research uh, of CBS, uh, the CBS affiliate in my my uh, area there of Mobile, Alabama, Pensacola, Florida, when I was just 20 years old, uh, primarily because I had a background in data analytics, uh, uh, data collection, uh, qualitative and quantitative research through Nielsen, uh, at the time, AC Nielsen Consumer Product Research. And so I was able to pick up that position before I actually finished my bachelor's degree. And from a, a from that time, Judy, I realized that perhaps the way I looked um, and because of my age, I really wasn't being taken super seriously. Understand that. Unfortunately, um, a lot of us, most of us have been in that position in one way or another, and you do with it what you can. You know, you try to make sure that you, you show people that you are intelligent and that you do know your stuff. I always said, you know, if you know your stuff and people ask you questions, there's nothing they can do about it, you know? And that's just, when I first started out, I was in sales. And so the only thing you're judged on in sales is our numbers. So when my numbers were going like this, all of a sudden they were taking me seriously. So it's it's hard. It, it, it's hard, but look where you are now. You know, and I think that's that's a testament to the blonde hair, the blue eyes, and the brain. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much for for that, Judy. I really appreciate it. The, the fact is, is that is why one of the reasons why I am so passionate about supporting women, uh, especially in the workforce and women who want to pursue, le uh, pursue leadership roles is because uh, I am really in a position to support other women, uh, perhaps more so than what I had available to me back in the year 2000. <laughs> so you're considered a trailblazer like many of us, and that's what it is. You're paving the way for the future. So with that said, as we are ending the, the year, because we're, I mean, when we blink, it'll be 2024. We know that. What do you anticipate as some of the, the biggest um, advancements for women in leadership coming up? I do feel like because there's such a going to be such a focus on human centric workforces, um, uh, really moving in that direction, uh, we're going to see more of an emphasis on emotional intelligence and empathy uh, and compassion in in the workplace. And I I uh, do uh, tend to think that women uh, overall uh, do absolutely have some strengths. Uh, in this area, it's not to say uh, that it's necessarily a, a generalization. I don't, I don't like to generalize. However, uh, what I would say is that there are many women who do have strengths in this area, and for those of us who do, I do believe there are going to be plenty of opportunities uh, for us, for sure. 
Well, you and I were reading an article called Five Business Trends That Will Influence the Workforce in 2024, and there were some specific trends that they said will change the way that we do business. So I'm going to give you, I'll just, we'll go through them because I think they're really important, and some of them are more important or some of them are more common. But the first one that they talked about was what you just said, the human-centric work. And it's not just about the profits. Now, I always said that instead of talking about B2B or B2C, we should talk about H to H, human to human, because most people don't do that. You know, they, well, what, what kind of business, B2B, B2C. Now, how about people? Because it's a people business. So it's funny how it's now a trend instead of being a norm. So what are your thoughts about that? Well, I... Again, I definitely think uh, going forward in 2024, it, we are going to see uh, some major shifts. Uh, there's going to be a lot of room made. There's so many initiatives, Judy, um, that are really gaining traction uh, around, uh, not only in the United States, but around the world. And some of those are, for example, uh, the Women on Boards initiative. So even though the Women on Boards initiative, like that particular law in California didn't, of course, make it past the Supreme Court. However, if you look at the statistics around that, you'll see that California is actually leading uh, the United States in ensuring that they are leading by example and making sure that there is women uh, represented on corporate boards even though it actually isn't a law. So just the number of women who are on corporate boards in California has actually increased just since that law was proposed and a lot of people are getting behind that. So I do feel like we will continue to see a great push towards um, making sure that there's more women and diverse persons uh, represented on corporate boards uh, as we move forward into 2024 through 2030 for sure. You know, it's interesting that you said that because when the, the law was first proposed, I had put out a post on LinkedIn and I said, look at it. Isn't this interesting that now, you know, you have to have 25% of the board has to be female, blah, 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 blah. And everybody was, you know, talking about it and commenting and 99% and of the comments were positive except for one. And the comment that wasn't, the, the person said to me, so what you're saying to me is you'd rather have unqualified women than qualified men. And I said, first of all, if you knew me, you knew you would know that's not me. Second of all, I would never put anybody in a position where they're going to fail. I just think that this is one way to start the conversation. So he and I went back and forth, and then I just said, whatever. But the truth of the matter is, it's not about putting people on just because they're women. They have to be prepared. They have to be qualified, right? Absolutely. Uh, and that's the bigger piece of the conversation. And I, I uh, across the board, uh, I do think, Judy, we're going to see um, like the 30 by 30 initiative um, that many, many, many police departments around the country are, have adopted even in 2023. We're going to see more of them join the 30 by 30 initiative. For those of you who may be listening that uh, are not familiar with the 30 by 30 initiative, this is where many, uh, not just police departments, to my understanding, but many uh, public uh, departments are really starting to adopt um, the 30 by 30 initiative to where they're wanting to increase the number of uh, police officers who are women uh, in their departments by 2030 by 30%. 
Um, so basically making sure at least 30% of their departments are uh, women uh, in those departments. And so I think this is another initiative that's gonna, uh, that is gaining a lot of traction and will continue to gain a lot of traction as we move forward to 2030. And then also, Judy, I'm so excited. I have to share with you. I really have to share with everybody. I am so elated uh, in regard to uh, Chief Naval Officer Lisa, um, Admiral Lisa Franchetti, uh, actually being confirmed uh, to the Navy's top spot. Uh, that was just that was just announced, as you know, maybe just even a less than maybe 10 days ago, I believe it was. I was so excited uh, I when her nomination was being held up. I definitely wrote both my senators. I wrote the White House and I said, let's move forward with this. Uh, let's make sure that, uh, you know, Admiral Lisa Franchetti's nomination uh, is definitely confirmed as we move into 2024. And to think that she is now in command of those naval warships that are sitting off the coast of Israel. It just, it, it is absolutely, uh, absolutely wonderful uh, to know that we have a woman in, in that position. And I say that because she is enormously qualified. She is the high, highest qualified individual for that particular position, or she wouldn't have been nominated in the first place. And so I'm just so excited for that. And then also, uh, I just saw uh, Judy, where for the first time ever, um, all of the like most, I would say a majority of the 2024 Grammy nominees are all uh, for the most part women. Um, and there are some phenomenal women who have been nominated for Grammys this year. And I think we're just gonna see a lot more recognition of powerful women uh, and and the world will begin to really embrace um, powerful women like they've never embraced powerful women before. And then maybe mother nature can like take a breather because I think <laughs> she's trying to show us like who's really the boss here. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but it's true. It's true because there are so many more women in, in different industries and organizations and companies than, there, than there's ever been. You know, you look at politics, there's more women in politics, there's more women in government. So, and it's qualified women. You know, there are some that aren't qualified and yes, okay, it happens, but the majority are qualified. So, okay, let's move on to the next trend. The trend is generally associated with realtors, location, 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 and then they added the word not to it. So it sounds like we're getting ready to do business differently and put a stake in the ground to make it real. So tell us what your thoughts are about that. Yeah, this is the very first thing I thought about is, wow. And the, so talking about like the fact that number two was uh, where they were saying location, 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 like you said, not meaning it's not about the location, actually. I started uh, really uh, chuckling because, because I don't know if you saw this, but uh, uh, earlier last week, uh, the National Association of Realtors uh, just lost a class action lawsuit uh, in regard to some of their price fixing practices, and they've just been sued for um, billions and billions of dollars. That's the National Association of Realtors. And so I couldn't help but think of, of that right when I saw that because 
it was so synchronistic to me that this would be here, that the, it was not about location, location, location. Um, because here's the thing, even the real estate industry is about to change because of this huge verdict that just came down uh, in favor of plaintiffs uh, in this particular regard. But in this particular article, I know we're talking about, of course, uh, uh, virtual work and remote work and that you don't have to be there in, uh, in the office. And I will say that there uh, are some initiatives around the country, which I'm super excited about, where companies are now turning their offices into cultural innovation centers. Uh, and so, and they're really emphasizing that collaboration and innovation piece. So it's not going to be surprising to me if we see more and more companies sort of leaning in this direction to where the, the headquarters are then really embracing this dynamic of utilizing space uh, for collaboration and innovation uh, as people from all over the world then come into their headquarters and, and places or their other offices around the country and around the world, uh, because there's going to be need to be more space for collaboration and innovation as we move forward. That's my, my thoughts on that for sure. Yeah. And if you think about it, you know, when the pandemic started or before the pandemic, there's major industries that said we could never do business from home. It's it's never going to happen. It's never going to work. And of course, we were forced to do this, and we found out that it does do this. But I don't know if you saw, I think it was maybe two, three weeks ago, somewhere like that, a company was giving tiny homes to their employees as their wow. office space. So they oh. can decorate it any way they want. They can do whatever they want. They They basically live there if they choose to. And it's a place where you can just, you know, sit back and, and be creative and be, be innovative. I thought that was brilliant because it's, it, it's everybody's different. And, you know, who wants to be in the same space with everybody else if that's not your style? That's amazing, Judy. I haven't actually seen that one, uh, but I'm happy you shared that with me because that's along the lines of the collaboration and innovation centers. So it's interesting how the different companies are going to be moving forward. And it's exciting to me because I just really feel like there that 20, as we go into 2024, people are really open to embracing change. Whereas I, uh, in the past, maybe historically people have been super resistant to change. However, I tend to think that more and more there's going to be an emphasis on embracing change and really seeing change for the first time ever as an enormous opportunity. Say, let's not be resistant to change. Let's be change excited because really great things come from change, right? So yes, I love that change excited, Judy. Yeah. That's great. Yes. Okay. The next one uh, really probably should be, have been number one because most great leaders are already doing this and that's emotional intelligence and mental health. And it seems like this past year, everyone's talking about empathy. And it's not a new quality, but it's now acceptable behavior. It's like, you know, we couldn't talk about confidence years ago because it was like taboo. You don't talk about that. And now everybody talks about it. But it's interesting because when I first moved here to Dallas, every single person that I met, every person, when I asked what they did, they said they were a servant leader. And after like the fourth or fifth one, I said, well, what is that? 
And the, the person I was talking to at the time, she lectured me for like 30 minutes about what a servant leader is. I said, oh, that's what I do all the time. I didn't know it had a title. And that's kind of the same thing that I'm thinking about EQ and all of this. But it's really, really important. Tell me what you think about that. The experience with EI and mental health is now on the trend list. Well, my initial thought is it's about time. Uh, <laughs> so, but, but you're doing it anyway. You're doing it anyway. Yes, we're doing it anyway. I suppose I'm just relieved and, and, and thankful that it actually is now trending. Uh, if that means that uh, more leaders will be open to adopting and becoming more, uh, more uh, trained and skilled in emotional intelligence and empathy and compassion, mm -hmm. uh, I, I say it's about time. It is. And, and I think that what's good about it is that people are actually paying attention. And, you know, when somebody says, I really need to take a mental health day, it's not because they want to go shopping. It's because they really need to just disengage. And so right. the fact that people are okay with it is better. So, you know, Judy, this is so interesting too, because uh, there's a couple of companies that I know of, at least I know of at least one uh, that really has started to embrace uh, the practice of a lot of training around TQs, and that is the technology quotient. I believe perhaps Accenture is probably the one that I know of that's leading the way when it comes to their own internal sort of training regarding te the technology quotient and making sure all of their team members are uh, trained and skilled uh, in the areas, of course, are of artificial intelligence and uh, machine learning and uh, large language models and deep learning models and and cybersecurity and cloud and all of you know all of these particular areas and the one thing that I I definitely noticed when this of course was on the trending list for top five 2024 of what we can expect to see I thought to myself well you know this is really interesting because while many others haven't exactly uh, maybe perhaps created uh, a model similar to the technology quotient, I really felt like we're going to see more and more companies and organizational leaders lean in that direction. And if we're leaning in that direction, then we're going to need that emotional intelligence and that EQ piece of it to really make sure that as we're advancing uh, from a technological perspective, that we're also advancing from a human centric perspective as well. Right. So it's, it's all like a puzzle piece of puzzle pieces. Okay. The fourth one is an interesting one. It says having a societal say. So how does that affect the way we do business? Well, you know, having a societal say, I feel like really goes into uh, making sure once again, that uh, everyone is heard mm -hmm. and that there, there, is, there are psychologically safe uh, places and psychological safe uh, cultures within organizations to where everybody feels like they can express uh, their thoughts and their uh, opinions and uh, their feelings without having any sort of uh, backlash. And what this reminds me of is in popular you know, culture where in the past, historically, if a woman spoke out of place, um, a lot of times uh, there were certain men 
Okay. I'm not saying all men, but there were, there were certain men who definitely would say to another man, something like, Oh, you need to, uh, uh, put your woman in her place or mm. perhaps remind her of her place or you need to check her or what have you. And, you know, I, I was even reminded this, uh, of just this past weekend when I read a story where, um, a famous uh, rapper was actually apologizing for have for having said that in the past, as it pertained to uh, Britney Spears, and it had to do with, uh, I th oh, I think the quote was, "Oh yeah, put a muzzle on it." Mm. Uh, and so, so what I, so what I am really excited about is that again, um, that those who have made those mistakes in the past are coming forward. They're apologizing for their mistakes. There, there's a higher level of conscious awareness, um, that perhaps, uh, you know, admittedly that they're willing to speak up and say, I was wrong for saying that. And I apologize. Um, and, and, and maybe overall, oh, it would be really wonderful if more and more uh, people were really respectful of all persons um, and really making a space for them. Well, we are in the gratitude month and we are also, it's World Kindness Day. So maybe if you, you know, if you can't find a kind person, become one. How is that? I mean, that just, you know, let's respect yes. each other. Yeah. Which, yeah, which brings us to the last one of the of the article, which is diversity and inclusion in the workplace. It's another very important part for companies. So how can this effectively be communicated so there is significant representation of women and diverse leadership? You know, again, it's awareness, but what do you th what do you think would be one of the first steps a company can do? I would, I would have probably appeal to them uh, using the data because that seems to work quite well. It seems to be quite uh, persuasive uh, when the data actually backs this up. And so I would uh, approach the, the subject from a, uh, a data perspective, really making sure that all of our women in leadership positions, uh, our HR leaders, et cetera, uh, definitely uh, are speaking into the data points that actually support um, the fact that companies who do embrace uh, more uh, inclusive environments and uh, a more diverse workforce are absolutely growing um, at a, a, a much uh, a much higher rate and they are also uh, proven to be more uh, generating more revenue and also more profitable. And the other thing I would say about that is, you know, 2024, uh, Judy, is going to be all about elevating the future of work. So there's been a lot of conversations about the future of work and the future of work and what does that look like. However, I do uh, feel like we're moving into this uh, time frame where we're going to see more people speaking into actually uh, that it's it can't be we're moving into just the future of work uh, with sort of the status quo uh, continuing to be okay. Um, no, I, I tend to think that there will be more people that are speaking up and saying, well, since we're adopting the future of work and we're really 
open to these conversations now, let's really see what will it actually take to actually elevate what the future of work looks like in the future. And let's go ahead and lay those um, foundational principles and that framework into place uh, now. Now, so for 2024, it's in place. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, one of my favorite and most interesting topics to talk about is the lonely leader. And many powerful women in leadership have um, shared, especially when I'm talking to them, you know, and doing surveys, that they do feel alone when they get to that certain level. They're not sure who to talk to. They're not sure who they can, you know, trust. They're not sure about who has an agenda, who doesn't have an agenda, all of those things. Do you think that, number one, that the lonely leader is possibly going to change in 2024 because there's so many new initiatives coming in? And then the second part of that question is, do you think that the lonely leader is more about emerging leaders that are just coming through the ranks or about those that are considered trailblazers and, you know, the first of and so on and so forth that have been in those ranks and are now trying to figure out, like, what's next? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's hard for me to say, um, probably, Judy, uh, to really, have, I don't know that I have a full grasp on which one would be uh, sort of more in need in regard to the lonely leader uh, component of things. I can speak into the fact that I have seen Chief uh, do extraordinary work um, in the area of making sure uh, chief executive officers, um, women specifically, are, are really making sure that they have uh, uh, their counterparts to mm -hmm. really cover important subject matter with um, in a psych psychologically safe environment. They, they chief as an organization has seemed to do has from what it looks like to me they they seem to be doing a really great job uh, with that particular part of the conversation. Uh, also within the women in leadership program. Um, of which you're an advisor and an instructor for, uh, I would, would also say we've had phenomenal results with our emerging leaders and our aspiring leaders really matching them uh, with, with mentors um, in our future mentoring uh, framework. And I do know we do have uh, some, a, a great testimonial from Delia Montesinos uh, and she works with, uh, she is an, uh, an emerging leader. She's in her very first uh, position as an emerging leader uh, within county government. And she definitely said that the mentoring, the future of mentoring program that we offer uh, definitely not only helped increase her confidence, but she did feel like within that framework of that mentoring uh, framework that we offer through the Women in Leadership Program, that she was able uh, to have those important conversations because she was feeling per perhaps, a, she, while she didn't use the word lonely, she didn't use that word, right? But I, I feel like uh, she did express that she was um, not as confident in that first uh in that first role and I, I do think she was definitely so grateful so happy to be connected with someone that she could feel like she could have those conversations with uh, her her mentor is amazing lady also in the women in leadership uh program as an advisor and an instructor and a mentor and her name is valerie cummings swope uh and 
you know, I was just blown away at the results of that particular program and what kind of results are coming from it. So, well, I think that there's two different ways of being the lonely leader. The emerging leaders are now all of a sudden not part of them anymore and they're by themselves. And, you know, these were their friends and now not. And I think the ones that have been there for a while, they already know you know, what it's like and what it is to be the first and what it is to be, you know, the trailblazer. So I think they're equally lonely. But one of the things, I don't know if you've ever heard the statistic, 65% of all women who have been mentored become mentors. And that is a cycle that we absolutely positively have to continue because that is so valuable. Mentorship is so powerful, both for the mentor and the mentee. So I love that. Now, you, as a very successful woman in leadership, what do you believe is your most important quality that defines you as a great leader? So for me, I would have to say that it's really my relational and transformational leadership style. Uh, I'm a trust-based leader. And so uh, I really uh, come from a, a place of being enormously encouraging and really uh, inspirational uh, from a point of view of really making sure the entire team knows that I believe in them. And, and perhaps most, even most importantly, I'm actively listening and every day I'm asking, uh, what can I do to help you become even more successful? What support can I provide you? What resources can I provide you? What do you need in order uh, to really just make sure that you're hitting on all cylinders and that you're a superstar? And as long as I'm providing, um, really listening uh, and providing them what they are requesting, it they they have told me over and over again that they really appreciate really appreciate my uh, support uh, and and that I am someone that they feel like they could come to and, and that I would be open to whatever it is that they're, they are feeling like they need in order to uh, do their jobs even better. So, Well, I can tell you from personal experience that when we were all on the advisory board meeting on Zoom or Teams or whatever it was, I remember thinking, I've got to talk to her. That's all I, I kept thinking. I have to talk to you. I have to talk to her. And when then you said, if anybody wants to have a one-on-one -on -one in between your 600 meetings, and I thought, wow. And you did it right away. Right away. There was no questions asked. There was no, you know, you didn't have to fill out a questionnaire of why you wanted to have a conversation. And to me, the, the generosity of your time was more important than anything else. I mean, yes. You're brilliant. Yes, you had so many great things to say. I took, you know, pages of notes, but it was the generosity of your time. And, and, and I think that that's a huge, important and valuable quality of a great leader. So that's what I think. Thank you so much, Judy. Thank you so much for uh, that, uh, you know, just the affirmation and the confirmation on that. Uh, I have always been generous of spirit. Uh, because I suppose I've always appreciated when others have been generous of spirit with me. It's just, it's a cycle. It's, it's that cycle and that's what it is. Well, Stephanie, this has been amazing and we could talk for another 12 hours, I'm sure, but where can our listeners learn more about you and connect with you? Because I know there's gonna be other women and men that are gonna to wanna to hear more about what you have to say. 
Oh, thank you so much, Judy. Uh, everyone can connect uh, on LinkedIn. It's at Stephanie Klein. And my name is spelled a little bit uniquely. Uh, my name is spelled S-T-E-P-H-E-N-E. -E, okay, Klein, K-L-E-I-N. Uh, and so, uh, yes, I am the only one. That's the easy part. <laughs> that's true. Nobody else has that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's the, that's the easiest part about that. But my father's name uh, was Stephen. And so they just added, my parents added an E and I became Stephanie. And so it's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-E. -E, uh, and that's how Stephanie is spelled uh, for my name. So thank you so much for that, Judy. Absolutely. And we'll make sure it's, you know, when we, when this goes live, we'll make sure that you are spelled correctly. And yeah, because there is no other E, Stephanie. So... <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being with us today. I truly enjoyed it. And I want to thank everybody else who has joined us as well on Selling New Skirt with Judy Hoberman. We're excited each time to bring amazing men, amazing women, people that have impactful, informative, and, and unbelievable stories to share with you. So until next, one, next time, we'll see you then. 